0: All right, all right. Good morning, good morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan. I have the pleasure and privilege of being able to be the the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you are here worshiping with us today. I know some of you are here for your very first time. I had a chance to meet you out in the hallway. If I did not get that opportunity, I would love to be able to do that after the service. I'm. I will be out in the hallway again after the service. And if you are a guest, we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. And uh, so on the video, you heard about this connection card. You can drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later. And uh, that way we can kind of reach out to you and give you some information about the church. Hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. And on the worship guide on the front side, there are now two QR codes. The top one is about a devotional that we're doing every week. And so this past week, as Ricky mentioned in the video, it was about prayer. And this week, it's about studying God's Word. And so I really encourage you uh, to either use that QR code or go on our website And or pick up a printed copy that is out in the rack in the hallway and uh, do this with you and your family as you study God's word together, as we as a church family study God's word together. This year we are walking through... The book of acts and uh, so we are now up to chapter 3 we're going to finish chapter 3 this week in fact at the b- back of your worship guide there's some sermon notes and at the very bottom you'll see that next week we're going to jump into chapter 4 and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 22 but today we'll be looking at acts chapter 3 verses 11 through 26 i encourage you to grab your bible if you've got one with you And if you don't have one with you, there should be a Bible in the uh, chair near you or underneath you, and you can use that to follow along as we walk through God's Word together. If you don't have a Bible or you need a Bible or you know somebody that does need one, feel free to take that with you. That'll be a gift from us to you so that you can use that in in your life. Last week, we walked through a passage at the beginning of chapter 3 where we saw an incredible miracle take place where a man who had been lame since birth who was 40 plus years old, was healed by Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus. And so I'm not going to preach that sermon again. You can go back to our website and follow along there. But I do want to read three verses out of the first section of chapter three to kind of give us the orientation of where we're going today. Chapter three of Acts, verse six, whenever Peter encounters this man, It says, Peter said to this man, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but what I do have, I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man was instantly, suddenly, instantaneously, completely healed. And then we see the result of that in verses 9 and 10. It says, and all the people that were there at the temple saw the man walking and praising God, And they recognized this man as the one who had been sitting at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms or help. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this morning, we're going to pick up this story. We're going to see what happens with this crowd that's amazed at a miracle that took place. Doesn't necessarily mean they believed in what took place as far as from God, but they knew that this guy had been sitting at the gate day after day after day asking for help been lame since birth something radically changed this guy and peter as was his norm saw an opportunity to jump up and speak and so let's look at this together chapter 3 verses 11 through the end of the chapter it says while the man who had been healed clung to peter and john all of the people utterly astounded and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he's talking about Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And that faith that is through Jesus, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed This whole text is a beautiful explanation of the Christology of Jesus. And when we say Christology, it's a study of Christ. That that last song we sang was was pretty good in describing who Jesus is. That, That God sent his son to this earth. That Jesus took on flesh and became one of us. And in this text... Peter steps forward and says, let me explain to you what took place. Let me tell you how this man was healed. And the way this man was healed was by the power of the name of Jesus. This morning, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whether you find yourself hopeful, whether you find yourself discouraged, whether you find yourself stressed and anxious, whether you are healthy or not, the power of the name of Jesus is what we need. And so just as God brought healing to this man in the name of Jesus, he's bringing restoration and healing to us as well. So let me kind of set up this, you kind of share the setting of this story. This man was healed at what was called the beautiful gate right there at the temple in in Jerusalem. And it was the hour of prayer. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, we find, and, and everyone's headed to the temple to pray. And this man, like he does every day, is asking for help, begging for help, because he's lame from birth. Peter and John encounter him, and they don't give him money, but instead they heal him in the name of Jesus. And so it said that they went on into the temple, and then no doubt the word began to spread, and people began to hear of what took place. And so a crowd quickly swarmed around them, and, and it says there that they were at Solomon's portico. They were at Solomon's portico. So let's kind of look at where Solomon's portico is real quickly. You'll see on the screen we have uh, the temple. Uh, This is a model of the temple. And our perspective or vantage point would be on the east side of the temple. It would be as if we were at the the, uh, Mount of Olives, okay? And so uh, on the other side over here would be the western wall, which is oftentimes referred to as the Wailing Wall, which a portion of that wall is still there today, and the rest of the temple was, was uh, knocked down. So there's the Western Wall, this is the Eastern Wall right here, and then in here we have, well, we have the Court of the Gentiles, and then we have uh, uh, the Outer Court, and then you move on in towards the, the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies, all right? So the Solomon's porch, or portico, is actually right here, on the eastern wall we're not looking at it we're looking at the backside of it but uh, you can imagine it looks very similar to this with the columns or the colonnades but there's a little porch there a little gathering place and that's where everything is taking place right inside of the walls of the temple they are having this conversation as as peter shares with them what took place A couple of things that we know about the uh, Solomon's portico is is it's at the eastern edge of the temple, right at the court of the Gentiles, so everyone would be able to kind of gather there, and we also find, you may want to jot this down on your sermon notes, I'm not going to take the time to turn to the verse, but we find that Jesus taught there. John chapter 10, verse 23. One of the times that he's in the temple, at least one of the times he's in the temple, he's preaching and teaching there at Solomon's portico. We also find not only this reference in the book of Acts, but also another reference in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And according to Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it appears that the early church oftentimes gathered there. So this was a common place for the early church to gather as they would go to the temple, understanding that the temple was a place to worship God, but that they were worshiping the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so here is where everything's happening. It says there in verse 11 that everyone was utterly astonished. It's like we've taken what was said in verse 10, where it says that they were amazed, they were in wonder, and all of this, and it's intensified. It's a stronger form of the word wonder as word begins to get out there. In other words, all eyes and all ears were on Peter and John and this man, and they wanted to know what happened. And so Peter, quite the opportunist in a good way, looks in verse 12. It says, when Peter saw all of this, he stepped forward and began to address or speak to or preach Jesus. How does he address them? He says, men of Israel. In other words, Peter understands his audience. His audience were folks that were there to worship at the temple, his audience were the Jewish people, the people that had trusted in the God of the Old Testament. And so he knows that if he will begin to tie the pieces together from the Old Testament, that he can share with them who Jesus Christ is. It's quite interesting. As we walk through this short sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 3, Peter spends a lot of time in a lot of different places all over the Old Testament because the story of the Old Testament, the story of the New Testament is consistent. All of it is about Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he speaks to these people that would be well-versed in the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't call it that then. It was just scripture. The people that were well-versed in the scripture and they was able to go back and go, hey guys, when this was said by the prophets, this is what it meant. So as we walk through, I'm going to actually point to some of the verses that he referenced. Again, we won't take the time to read the verses in the Old Testament because he's quoting them here, but you may want to jot it down and study it later this week. So look at verse 18, and and this is not the only place, but in verse 18 we see that the Old Testament is referenced here, and he's using the Old Testament to point to who Jesus is. It says in 18, But what God foretold, By the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he also fulfilled. So Peter is preaching a text, or several texts from the Old Testament, and says what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do is all being fulfilled by what God is doing in and through Jesus. Look with me at verse 12. In verse 12, Peter asks Two rhetorical questions. And both of those questions start with the word why. In verse 12, he says, Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? And in this case... As is usually the case with rhetorical questions, something more is meant than just simply why. He's not asking for an answer. Rather, instead of just saying, why are you doing this? He says, you should not be doing this. And it's his way of saying, in a strong way, you should not be amazed at all at what took place today. You should not be confused. Instead, it's pretty clear what's happening here. It's as if he's kind of saying to the guys, guys, have you not had the news on? Do you not know what's going on? This dude was just healed, and it was in the name of Jesus. Like, how are you surprised by this? He's also saying, because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, that it should be clear to them that it's the work of the Messiah that has done this and not himself. Part of what he's saying about, have you not watched the news lately, He's talking about over the last however many days, we don't know how long since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but we know it's not been real long, because in chapters 1 and 2, it had been only 50 days. Now we're in chapter 3, so it's probably only been a couple of months since Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, And so he's saying, guys, how are you clueless still at what's taking place? And then he begins to describe in verse 12 that it's not because of his piety. It's not because of his holiness it's not because of his godliness it's not because of him that this man is healed it's not by his power instead whose holiness has done this miracle whose power has done this miracle not peter's but jesus himself and so as we study the book of acts we see that it's not really about the acts of the apostles, it's rather the acts of Jesus through the work of his Holy Spirit, through the hands and ministry of the apostles and the followers of Jesus. Is that not still the case today? Like, Jesus is still alive and active and working in our midst today. And if you go, I don't know about that, then I'd ask you to do some praying. Because God is at work today. And maybe we need to start hearing each other's stories a little bit more than we are. Maybe in our hope groups we should tell what Christ has done in our life. And I'm not insinuating we're not doing it. I'm saying maybe we need to do it even more so. Maybe we need to look for opportunities on Sunday mornings not to elevate any particular person, but to elevate Christ and what he has done in the lives of our people. Share your story with other people. All right, here we go, here we go. So it's not the apostles of piety, it's not their power, rather it is God's power. Look at verse 12, or actually I should say verse 13. He's addressing the men of Israel, so what does he say? He's describing who has done this work, and who is it? It's the God of who? Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of their fathers. Like, why did he say that? He's saying, guys, we've been worshiping this God all along. Get with the program. Like, this is the same God that sent his son, Jesus. He's pointing back to the book of Exodus, is he not? When Moses is ready to be sent to rescue the people from uh, slavery in Egypt, and he says, God, who should I tell them sent me? God says, tell them that it is I am, and he goes on to describe that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what he's saying here in verse 13 is this God, the God of their fathers, the one they've worshipped all along, he has glorified in verse 13 his servant Jesus. And it's because of that that this healing has taken place. So it's the work of God through the glorification of his son, Jesus, that this healing has taken place. As I was reading commentaries this week, I found a quote from a scholar, uh, maybe you've heard of him before, John Stott. And here's what John Stott said. He said, the power for the healing, the power was Christ's. The hand was Peter's. It wasn't the power of Peter. But God chose to use Peter to be his instrument. Just as he wants to use us to be his instrument in the world today. So that brings us to my my points that are on your sermon notes. The first one is this I've already said it quite a bit, but let's say it again there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in his name. Stay with me. I, I want you to understand what I mean when I say there's power in his name. It's not some kind of magical word, it's not some kind of abracadabra kind of thing, but there's power in him, in his name. Verses 13 through 15, we're not gonna, or actually verses 13 through 16, we're not gonna read each line right this second, but verses 13 through 16 demonstrate the fact that it's the power of the name of Jesus that did the healing. Again, I remind you, what happened in verse six? When the actual healing took place, what happens in verse 6 is Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So from the very beginning, we see that it's the name of Jesus that did the healing. And when we say the name of Jesus, we mean his character. We mean his power. We mean his authority. So whenever we say that the name of Jesus has power, we're talking about him, himself, his, his character, his power, his authority. In verses 13 through 16 we see several names or descriptions of Jesus. I want us to walk through it. because if it's the power in the name of Jesus we need to understand better who he is and so starting in verse 13 walking through 16 you can follow along with me. We see first of all that Jesus is the servant of God. The servant of God. We see that in verse 13. We, we, we understand that he is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their fathers, and that Jesus has been sent as his servant. Doesn't mean he's less than God, because he's fully God. He's one of the Trinity, but he is listed here in verse 13 as the servant of God. The God of the promise, the God of the nation. He is at work today still. You may want to jot this down. It's probably a passage you're fairly familiar with. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 12. So the ending of Isaiah 52 and all of Isaiah 53, it describes the Messiah. It describes the suffering servant. The word servant is used. So that's one place in the Old Testament that whenever Peter points to the fact that Jesus is the servant of God, he would have been um, hinting at Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. One thing I want to say about Jesus being servant, Jesus himself said that he came to be a servant, right? And then as he described the fact that he came as a servant, he says that we are to likewise go out and to serve others. I encourage us, I implore us, I exhort us today, stop acting like it's all about you. I need to stop acting like it's all about me. And we need to step forward with the heart of Jesus and serve those around us. Did Peter and John know this guy at the temple gate? I don't really think they knew him. They'd probably seen him before, but they didn't really know him. And yet they served this man. So whether you know the person or not, we should... Have the heart of Christ and serve others. So first we see he's servant of God. Another thing we see is that he was glorified by God there in verse 13. That Jesus was glorified by God, and it was this glorification of Jesus that brought about this healing. And and no doubt, when these people heard uh, Peter say this, it must have startled them. Wait a minute, hold up, hold up. You say God glorified Jesus, a man? That's the reverse. Shouldn't it be that God's the one being glorified? How How could he glorify Jesus? And the simple answer is that Jesus is God in the flesh, and therefore the Father did glorify his son, Jesus. And when did he glorify him? Most powerfully, the glorification of Jesus took place whenever he rose out of the tomb, right? We also see hints of it when he is on, uh, on uh, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. We also know that he was glorified when he was resurrected, uh, ascended into heaven, right? So the Father has glorified Jesus and therefore placed him on his throne. Follow along with me in John chapter 17, and we are going to read these verses. John 17, we see Jesus' words about him being glorified. This is referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed this prayer the night that he would be arrested, just a matter of a couple or a few hours before his arrest. And here's what it says in John 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come Jesus is the glorified Son of God. So my thought for us is this. Since he is the glorified Son of God, it's our job, it's our responsibility, it's our pleasure that on a daily basis, not just on Sunday mornings when we sing a song, that we would glorify him as well. That we would live a life that would bring him glory and honor. Let's keep looking at some titles that he gives to Jesus. It says that he is the holy and righteous one. We see that in verse 14. It says that Jesus is the holy and the righteous one. He is pure, he is spotless, he is sinless, and he is the one who makes us righteous if we place our faith and our trust in him. He is the one that brought righteousness through his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Guys, it's not us bringing righteousness to the table because we have none to bring. It's all his righteousness. I'd encourage you to look up this verse today, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6. It says that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. If you'll pardon me for just a second, let me tell you what a filthy rag is. A filthy rag in this scenario would have to do with menstrual cycles. And what he's saying is that that filthiness, dirtiness, uncleanness, in women, I'm not saying you're dirty or filthy or unclean, but I'm saying that is a word picture to describe that our righteousness amounts to zip, nada, nothing. It says that our righteousness is but filthy rags. Stop acting self-righteous. All too often, I will have a tendency to look at someone who struggles with a sin that I don't personally struggle with, and I act as if I am holier than them. The truth of the matter is, 100% of us are sinners. While we may not commit 100% of the sins that are out there that are possible, we commit enough of them that we are just as dirty and just as sinful and just as wretched as anyone else. Let's trust in Jesus who is the holy and righteous one, not ourselves. Let's keep going. Another statement about who Jesus is is found in verse 15. It says you killed the author of life. There's a a kind of a a humor or an irony, I should say, in that. Like, Jesus is the author of life, and yet you tried to kill him as if that really was going to work. Jesus is the author of life. He leads to life. He's the source of life. It happens as a result of faith in him. He is the only true source of life. We've got to stop chasing other things. I have a habit... I don't stress over it usually, but I have a habit of every day looking to see what the stock market has done in my retirement account. Like, I'm not ready to retire. I got a few more days. But, but I look at it. And if you haven't been watching that lately, it's been a little depressing, like really depressing, right? The reality is, what, although we had a little upturn Friday and I was thankful for that, but the reality is this Am I trusting in money? Or am I trusting in the author of life? Am I trusting in fame and success and notoriety and applause? Or am I trusting in the author of life? Am I stressed about illness in my life or somebody else's? Or am I trusting in him who gives life? Let's stop chasing other things and let's pursue Christ. Let's keep going. As you keep walking through verses 13 through 16, now we see that God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised him from the dead. If you haven't already noticed in the book of Acts, time and time and time and time again, the resurrection is declared and shouted from the rooftops because our faith is nothing without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the basis of our faith, is it not? That's why I'm excited about April 17th is Easter Sunday. Like we're going to come and worship Jesus. There is no better time than April 17th to invite somebody to come with you. We're going to be the witnesses that Christ has called us to be. Then all we got to do is share the gospel. Sometimes it's sitting down and telling the gospel point blank. And I encourage you to do that quite often. And sometimes it's first inviting somebody to come to church with you. So this morning as you leave, I encourage you to stop and pick up one of these cards that some folks are going to be holding. This is an invitation. It has descriptions of what's happening Easter weekend and leading up to it. Take this with you and invite someone this week to join us for worship on Easter Sunday. But the resurrection of Christ is what it's all about. Let's look at verse 16. Based on who Jesus is, verse 16 is a, an amazing verse. The grammar's a little bit confusing, and he repeats himself quite a bit, but there's a reason behind it. It says, in his name, Jesus' name, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. In this one verse, in this one sentence, Peter declares clearly and boldly that it's faith through Jesus that has made this man whole. You see, the word faith is listed twice, you see, the word name is listed twice. The name Jesus is listed another time. It's a strange kind of convoluted, grammatically speaking, verse. But it's clear. The message is clear. There's no hope outside of Jesus. There's no power out of Jesus outside of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There's power in His name. There's authority in His name. It's by trusting in His name that this man was healed. So the question is, who tr- whose trust? Whose faith? Scholars will debate this they're like okay is it is it the man's faith that brought the healing is it Peter and John's faith that brought the healing is it both of their faith that brings the healing and and different guys say different things but we know this for a fact that when Peter and John saw this man they knew that Jesus was prompting them to bring healing to him through the power and the name of Jesus and therefore we at least have the faith of Peter and John. And then along the way, we see the faith of this man as he worships Jesus and goes into the temple and celebrates Jesus. And so at first we see that it's the faith of these men, but just as they demonstrate faith, the man responds as well. As I said a moment ago, Jesus, the name of Jesus, is not some kind of holy word. It is a holy word, but it's not some kind of magical word, I should say. It's not some kind of abracadabra. It's not a presto bango. you got to do what I say, hocus pocus kind of trick. Rather, it's faith in the name of Jesus, faith in the one speaking and faith in the one who hears it. So if you and I are going to proclaim the name of Jesus, then we need to have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the author of life, that he is the holy and righteous one, and then, when we engage our conversations with friends or neighbors or strangers, that we have confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. That as we do that, and as we share the gospel, we trust the Holy Spirit to do his work and to bring the conviction and bring faith into that person's life. My question to you this morning is, have you experienced that power in the name of Jesus by placing your faith and your trust in him? All throughout scripture, including this passage, we see that all of us are guilty. All of us are sinners. Did you see the ways that Peter described these folks as sinners? In verses 13 through 15, he says, you did this, you did this, you did that. What did they do? They delivered Jesus over for arrest. And then when Jesus was before Pilate, they denied him. And then it says that they chose a murderer instead of Jesus because Pilate stood up and said, I can release somebody. Who should I release? Should I release Jesus or Barabbas, the murderer? And the crowd shouts and screams, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Peter is not just saying, somebody did this. He's saying, you did this. You killed Jesus. The truth of the matter is, granted we're alive 2,000 years later, but it was our sins that crucified Jesus as well. All of us are guilty. All of us are sinners. Not one of us is holy. And so the basis of faith the need for faith is the fact that we are sinners separated from a holy god but there's an amazing solution and that solution is the good news that forgiveness is available look at verse 19. in spite of the fact that they were sinners In spite of the fact that you and I are sinners, Peter exhorts them, and I do the same thing with you, and he says it in a couple of ways in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. He's like repeating himself again, repent, turn back, and your sins will be blotted out. To repent means a complete change of thought, a complete change of attitude, a complete change of behavior with regard to sin, and to turn back means to turn away from sin. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that it's not our doing of faith. Rather, faith is a gift from God. And so even faith is something that God gives to us. But faith is needed to repent of our sin and turn back. And then I love the fact that it says our sin is blotted out. I'm going to show my age here. I'm turning the dial back to 1980. But when I read the definition of the word blotted out, it carried with it the idea of washing away. And I thought of a little jingle, I'm not going to sing it for you, a little jingle. You remember the little jingle says, I'm going to wash that gray right out of my hair? Like, I don't understand how you theoretically can wash gray out of your hair. I don't think it's possible, right? Like, I don't think you can wash it out. It's there, right? And maybe it was dying it, I have no idea. But the little jingle said, I'm going to wash that gray right out of my hair, right? <laughs> oh, I might need to do that pretty soon. <laughs> the reality is this. Jesus' righteousness his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection blots out, washes away our sin. And when Jesus does that, you'll see on your notes, he brings complete refreshment and restoration. Jesus brings complete refreshment and restoration. We see that in verses 20 and 21. Let's consider the word refreshing. You'll see it listed in there in 20. It says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. By the way, the word presence here is actually the word prosopon, which means face of God. That, that there is refreshment when we're in the presence or in see the face of God in our lives. This is the only time this phrase is used, refreshing, in the New Testament. And this refreshing points towards the eschatological Uh, age of salvation that's catalogical age just means the end times and and so whenever he says refreshing is available it's pointing to the end days that ultimately sin is washed away it also refers to a, a sense of rest I was in the, the core class this morning. They were talking about what does it mean to experience the rest of God. I, I'd encourage you to jot this uh, down and, and maybe go back and read it sometime this week. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, we see that God offers a rest to his people. And this time of refreshing is like that rest. And ultimately, it points to Jesus' return. It says there in verse 20, that Jesus is in the presence of God, and that he will one day send Christ who's appointed for you when he returns. So not only does Christ bring refreshment, he also brings restoration. We find that in verse 21. It says that until the time of restoring all the things, restoring meaning that there is a time coming when God will restore everything as it should be at Jesus' return. It's a return to the perfect state before the fall, before sin entered the world, that everything will be restored to the original creation's perfection, uh, um, to the original's creation's perfection that God gave it. We sometimes talk about the grand narrative of Scripture. We see that throughout Scripture, there's creation, Fall, redemption, and restoration, meaning that God created everything that he created us in his image, that he created us to bring him worth and honor and glory. We don't bring him worth, sorry. Bring him honor and glory. But that sin entered the picture and there came the fall of man and then is available through Jesus and one day God's going to make it right again when he restores everything as it should be. So, This idea that Jesus brings refreshment, that Jesus brings restoration, it begins at the moment of conversion when we experience his forgiveness. We experience it in a limited regard here on this earth, and the day is coming when we will see him face to face, and all will be made right again. That final day will be wonderful. But in the meantime, we have seasons or times of refreshment in the present. I want to ask you a question. Are you worn out this morning? Are you worn out? Are you tired? I know the other elders can affirm with me the number of times we have heard people say over the last six months or so, I'm just worn out. I don't have enough digits to count them. There's just something about this season of life that perhaps started with COVID. Actually, probably started before then, but COVID just kind of amplified it. And then we have political stuff and racial stuff and economic stuff and yeah, yeah, and back and forth. All kinds of things. And I'm not just talking about here in our church. I'm talking about in society as a whole. And it's just drained us. And warn us out. My question is, are we looking to something or someone to bring restoration or refreshment? The only answer to that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that brings refreshment. If you're looking to us as your elders to bring refreshment, you will not be ultimately satisfied. It's our job to shepherd you well. It's our job to take you to the water. It's our job to take you to Jesus Not because we are priests or holy, but because it's our job to shepherd you well. But ultimately, it's not us that brings refreshment. Ultimately, it's not a strategy that brings refreshment. Ultimately, it's not a schedule on the church calendar that brings refreshment. Ultimately, it's not who's in office that brings refreshment. Ultimately, it's not the price of gas at the pump. Refreshment comes from Jesus Christ himself. We've got to get back to that truth. got to get back to that truth let's keep moving verses 22 and 23 he starts referencing moses it says that moses said the lord god's going to raise up a prophet like me the me there would be moses moses says a prophet's coming like me and you're going to listen to him and whatever he tells you Jot this down. Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you don't know how to spell Deuteronomy, just do it abbreviation wise. D E U T, period. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Peter is referencing these verses. And specifically, when he says, listen to this prophet, it comes from verse 19. Deuteronomy 18, verse 19. He's saying a prophet's coming. Who's that prophet? Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is above all the angels, Jesus is above man, Jesus is above the prophets, and so the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus himself is this prophet that Moses is referencing to, and he says we are to listen to him. That doesn't just mean hear with your ears, it means obey and follow him. And then what happens if you don't? Look at 23. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Jot down this verse. He's quoting Leviticus chapter 23 verse 29. I've just got to be honest with you. When Peter preached, he jumped to different verses in the Old Testament because all of it points to the glory of God. We've got to be well versed in all of God's word to understand how it all fits together. And what's happening in Leviticus chapter 23 is it's in reference to the day of atonement. And he says, if you're not listening at this moment, you're not going to experience atonement. He says, you're going to be destroyed from your people. You're going to be removed from your people. Do you think about all the times in the Old Testament where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people? And there's other times when he goes, I'm not your God and you're not my people. And what he's saying is, you're being wiped away from the people of God whenever you don't listen to Jesus, when you don't trust in him. Verses 22 and 23, says, there's two choices with Jesus. You either accept him and therefore you are his people or you reject him and you're not his people. Listen to Jesus, accept him, have faith in his name and you will be blessed. Let's be careful with the word blessed. Does blessed mean I'm going to go to my bank account and all of a sudden there's going to be um, six figures in my bank account because God brought me blessing? no blessing comes in another way, and what I want us to see in this final point is that we are to extend God's blessing to all people. Look with me in verses 25 and 26. He's referencing those of us who've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. He says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What he's saying is accept Jesus. Accept Jesus and you'll be accepted into his people. He's talking to the people of Israel. They understand what this covenant to Abraham was about. They understand what it means to be children of Israel. He's calling them to not just be children of Israel. He's calling them to be children of the Son of God and trust in Jesus for salvation. This idea that we find at the end of verse 25. This says that we are to, to, to um, see that in Abraham's offspring, uh, which would be Jesus, that in Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The verse that he quotes here is actually kind of from three different places in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, Genesis 18, 18, Genesis twenty-two, eighteen. 18, all three of those places say that in the offspring of Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What Peter is saying is that this gospel message is not just for the people of Israel. It never was, it never will be. It's for all families of the earth. That's highlighted in the New Testament, but the truth of the matter is it's also very clearly written in the Old Testament going all the way back to Genesis. And in this scenario, it goes hand in hand with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do y'all remember what Acts 1.8 says? Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we are to share the blessing of Jesus Christ with all those around us in order that all families of the earth may be blessed by the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. How does this blessing come? We see in verse 26. In verse 26, it says that God sent his servant, Jesus, that he sent him first to the Jews, and that he sent him him to bless you. How? By turning every one of you from your wickedness. The only way to experience the blessing of God is to experience the forgiveness of sin that Jesus himself provides for us. That points us back to verse 19. Repent. Turn back. And your sins will be blotted out. Turn to God. Trust him. See where your sin is and repent of that sin. And when we repent of that sin, then we will experience the full blessing of God. But that blessing of God is not to be contained to ourselves. It says that this blessing is to be passed to all the families of the earth. So my question for us is, will you begin to bless others? Will you begin to point them to Jesus? Will you point them to the one who brings blessing? Will we grasp this concept that we talk about here at church all the time of being a disciple and making disciples? You see, we're not to absorb and become a disciple and this super knowledgeable person and do nothing with it. Rather, we're to be a disciple who in turn makes disciples so that we can live out the truth that says that through his offspring, the entire world, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This morning's message I called by faith, in his name. And what I want to call us to this morning is to place our faith in his name, either either for the first time or as a reminder of where our hope is found. My question for us is, do you have a genuine faith in Jesus? You see the early church had power, and it was because they had faith in Jesus' name. They trusted in him fully. But the question is, but do we? Do we trust in Jesus? Do we fully trust in his name? Or do we trust in others? Over the last two years, there's been lots of talk about faith over fear. And I know what all of us probably are doing. That's right. Faith over fear. That's what I'm doing. I got faith. I don't have fear. It's those other people that are living by fear and not by faith. The reality is this all of us more times than we want to admit are living and driven by fear more than we are driven by faith my good friend bill came in this morning gave me the world's longest hug and he encouraged me and he said he's been praying for me and he said, Alan, the spirit, the, the, uh, he said, spiritual warfare is a real thing. And our, if we're not careful, we're living in fear instead of trusting in Jesus. And I said, Bill, you read my notes. That's where I'm going this morning. All too often, if we aren't careful, we'll end up being driven by fear. Questions like, how, how, how am I going to stay healthy? How am I going to survive this inflation? What happens if so-and-so gets elected? What do I do if I lose my friends? Will we find enough people to serve in the preschool at church on Sunday mornings? How do we protect ourselves from this sinful culture? All of those are fear-driven questions. And that's just cracking the surface of how we can live in fear instead of faith. You see, our eyes all too often are on the wrong thing. Let's put our faith in the name of Jesus in all things. As a church family, we must stop responding out of fear and begin to act in faith because there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And if we'll trust in Him, there's a way forward. This study in the book of Acts, we're calling it the way forward because it's all about trusting in Jesus and letting him be the pioneer and move us forward. Let me give you some possible next steps. In just a moment, we'll pray. We'll sing a little bit. As we sing, some offering plates will be passed by you. If you're a guest, don't feel the need to put anything in that, although we would love to have a connection card if you don't mind doing that. If you are a member of our church and you're giving online, that's awesome. Keep it up. If you're giving by sending a check, that's awesome. Keep it up. Perhaps you came prepared this morning to drop some finances in the plate. Maybe you need to grab your connection card and make a spiritual decision and jot that down and drop that in the plate. But as we consider what we're going to do with our next steps, here's some possible ones. First of all, this one. Number one, shift from faith sorry shift from fear to faith faith in the name of jesus because he is all powerful a second next step could be trusting in jesus for your salvation for the very first time a third next step could be becoming a member of this church you can't join the church this morning but you can sign up to be a, a part of the membership class. that's happening next sunday after the service with child care and food pro- provided but we need you to sign up at, at 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 the website if you need help signing up let me know but that's next sunday Another next step could be, I'm committing to finding my rest in Jesus and not anything else. Another next step could be devoting yourself to prayer and the word, just like we talked about with these, um, with these uh, devotionals that we're doing each week. And you want to commit yourself to, to prayer and God's word. And then the last thing that I want to point out is maybe you commit to invite at least two people to come with you on Easter Sunday morning. I don't know where God's calling you, but I do know this. There is power in the name of Jesus. We need to have our faith in Him and in Him alone. And anything else that is a distraction, that has our attention, that has our fear, we need to place it at the altar and trust in Jesus. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And at the end of that prayer, let's sing together. Let's respond. Place will be passed. The altar's open for prayer. I'm available to pray with you. I encourage you to not go anywhere. Let's stay listening to what God is saying in this moment. Let's pray.